your Bibles with me today. We are continuing in the book of Mark, but we're skipping way ahead to Mark chapter number 11 today to look at the triumphal entry this morning. And then we will, next week, look at Easter, of course, and the resurrection. And then we will go back to chapter number 2 where we're at. Mark chapter number 11. We'll start reading in verse number 1. And when they had came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye enter into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him, and bring me, and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? He shall say that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without, in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, Why do, What do ye, loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go, and they brought the colt to Jesus, and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees, and strawed them in the way. And they that went before, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David, that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked around about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. Father, I pray that you would meet with us this morning. You do a work in each of our lives and each of our hearts today. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. Pray that over the next few minutes as I break down this passage just a little bit. And then we look at some things, some lessons that we can learn from this passage this morning. Pray that you'd help us, guide us this morning. We need your help. We love you. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Daniel in the Old Testament was in Babylon. Jerusalem had been destroyed. And there was a prophecy given to Daniel about how everything's going to come together. And really, I call it the backbone of all prophecy is what is found in Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 24. The Bible says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. What's the point of these seventy weeks? For sake of time, I'm not going to go through all this today, but the 70 weeks are 70 weeks of years. It's a long period of time that has to be complete. What's the point of these 70 weeks of years? Well, it begins to finish the transgression. To make an end of sin. To make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. And to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. The goal of this, what the goal of these 70 weeks is, and what's going to happen is, by the time these 70 weeks are completed, 
Jesus will be King of kings and Lord of lords. He already has been, but everyone will know it. These weeks have to be accomplished. Now the prophecy continues in verse number 25, that know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and to build Jerusalem until the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Now we look at that verse there and so the Bible tells us here in this prophecy that you added up three score. What is three score? Sixty. And then two, so sixty-two. And you add seven. Sixty-nine weeks are going to be accomplished. From the command to restore Jerusalem. You've got to remember, this was given to Daniel, and Jerusalem has been destroyed. There's no walls. The temple's not there. The temple will be rebuilt. But the command to go back to restore Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks. So 69 weeks, the streets of Jerusalem will be built again. The wall, even in troublesome times. Now, Joe, I put these out of order just a little bit. But it talks about Israel's prophetic clock. Began to tick when the command to rebuild Jerusalem was given. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, and in between Ezra chapter number 1, the scripture tells us the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, his was the first decree given of three. The last one ended with Artaxerxes in 444 B.C. And so, if you were to, and I've done my research on these things, and, a lot of, and you might say it might not add up exactly, that's fine, and you can say that. But March 21st would have been about the day that that prophecy was given. That was the command to go and to build, they could go build Jerusalem again. We go back to verse 26. It says, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. So at the 69 weeks of years' time, it's going to stop because the Messiah is going to be cut off. He's going to be rejected by his own people. And the time clock of those 70 weeks of years stops. That means there's one set of seven years left. We look at the last verse. And it says, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. The Antichrist. And the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of the abominations, she shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Sixty-nine weeks of years had been completed. The time had come that Israel could have accepted their king. They did not. The clock stopped when the Messiah was cut off, when he died on the cross. And that ushered in where we are today in the church age. At some point, the church age will be done. And it ends with the rapture of the church. 
when that happens, the final year of seven kicks off to end everything and to seal everything up. That's seven years of the tribulation. That's where those who deny the tribulation and the things that take place, the book of Daniel makes it very clear. But what I want you to understand, and as we dive in today, is you look at, and there should have been one more slide back, seven weeks of years is 49 years, 62 weeks of years, 434 years. It's a grand total of 483 years. Now, their calendar was not the same as ours. 360 days is the ancient calendar, not 365 like ours. So, and a prophetic year in the Bible is always 360 days, so that adds up to 173,880 days. You do the math, and it would be about Palm Sunday. If you took from the 21st, you take March 21st and say that's the day that the, uh, that, that happened where the um, prophecy was, or the command to go build Jerusalem was made. You go 483 years later, that many days, and it would be about March 30th of 33 AD, the triumphal entry. Israel did not know what they had before their eyes. In this passage, you know, and as we've studied, and as we're going to continue through the book of Mark, over and over again, Jesus said, hey, you don't have to go spread this everywhere. You don't have to go tell, he told, you know, he would heal someone, just go home, tell your family. Jesus was showing Jerusalem who he was. It's an Old Testament prophecy made in the book of uh, Zechariah there. You want to put that up there? 9-9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. This prophecy was made about Israel's king coming. So the day that Jesus rode into town on the donkey... This prophecy was being fulfilled. Many people cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were praising him. I think they were waiting for him to come and to knock out the Roman Empire and to just take over. That's what they wanted in a king. They didn't realize the king had to die for the sins of the world. He came as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. They didn't get it. In fact, I love in the book of Luke, the Pharisees said, hey, Jesus, you need to quiet these people. Jesus said, if they're quiet, the rocks will cry it out. Even the rocks are smart enough to know who Jesus is. Some rocks have more sense than most people, but we'll save that for another message some other time. But Jesus that day, as he looked on Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19, he said these words. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. And this is what Jesus said, If thou hast known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, behold, now they are hid from thine eyes. 
A few days later, some of the same people who were crying out, Hosanna, the same ones who were crying out, crucify him. Hey, he's not our king. We have no king but Caesar. This guy's not our king. And they rejected the Son of God. Their king that had been prophesied about. This was, this could have been a great day. But they rejected him. The clock stopped. And someday it will start again. We just read these verses here, and if some of you, you're like prophecy and all those things. You got, I lost you when I said the book of Daniel. It's okay, it's okay. It's, the Bible's an amazing book. There is no book like it, and the prophecies and the things that have come to pass and the things that will still come to pass, like it says, make the Bible just beyond amazing. We get back to our text this morning. And as we look at our text today, I've got to go back and forth from a couple different messages. We see that Jesus enters in. The Messiah would be enthroned as king in Jerusalem. The Bible makes that very clear. The Old Testament makes it clear that the coming king would do his main work in the city of David. As we look at this passage in Mark chapter number 11, I'm just laying a little background here. Passover was about to begin. This celebration was a time where it, of Israel's greatest feast. You think about it because they were celebrating and remembering God's deliverance. And the lamb's blood that was shed over the doorposts, that's what they, they're celebrating God's deliverance from Egypt. That's what the Passover's all about. Little did they know that right before their very eyes was the Lamb of God to be slain once for all. There were a lot of people there. Some historians tell us the population would have been from 40,000 to 250,000 or more for the Passover. Pilate and his troops were there during Passover. Pilate did not like living in Jerusalem. People didn't like him either. But he would come during these times more to flex his muscles during the holy days that Israel would have. And so this is quite the time for Israel. But little does Israel realize the fact that their deliverer, their king, that had been prophesied about, was riding into town. I want to take a few minutes this morning and I want to give you some thoughts and try and help us this morning out of this passage. Number one, this morning, we need to trust the sovereignty of the Savior. As you look at this passage of Scripture, it is amazing what takes place. And sometimes I think it gets looked over by us. But trust the sovereignty of the Savior. The word sovereignty is we use it a lot i don't see it in the bible have you seen the word sovereignty no but it is shown throughout when we think about when we say god or that our savior is sovereign we're saying that he has the absolute right and might to do all things according to his own good pleasure everything's under his rule and nothing happens without his permission Think about Job. 
Satan couldn't just go get Job. He had to get permission from God. Saying God gave him permission. God did. As we look at this passage today, we look at verse number 1. It says, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent forth two of his disciples. It is no accident that this is the time that Jesus chose to come to this place. This was the time. Jesus arrived at the beginning of Passover. The Bethage and Bethany were two little villages right near Jerusalem. Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived in Bethany. And Jesus used their home, kind of like a bed and breakfast off, the, off and on when he was in that area. We see the Bible tells us here that he, he was at Bethage and Bethany. And he's at the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is very significant. It's where Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse, where he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And after the resurrection, this is the spot, the Mount of Olives, that Jesus went back into heaven. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 12. Then, then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And that's the spot where Jesus went back to be with the Father. And I also want to remind you of something the Bible tells us in Zechariah 14, verse number 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And on the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. That spot, the Mount of Olives, when he returns, his second coming... That's where he's coming. Now let's make sure as we go through the message this morning, you've got to understand, his, his first coming, he came as a baby. He came and he, was, he lived a life, a sinless life. He came to be slain for us as a lamb. Someday the trump of God's going to sound and the rapture's going to take place. We'll meet the Lord in the air. That is not the second coming. We meet him in the air. He does not come to earth. We meet him in the air. The second coming comes at the end of the tribulation time where Jesus, will, his feet will be on the Mount of Olives. That's the second coming where he comes to rule and to reign. The millennial reign takes place. So the Mount of Olives is a very significant spot for Jesus. It's from this spot that Jesus gives an assignment to two disciples. Look at verse number 2. And saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied whereon never man sat. Loose him, and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. Did Jesus walk into town ahead of them and plan all this? No. This is how it was going to take place. Because he knew what was going on. Our God knows tomorrow. He knows five hours from now. Our God is sovereign. We see his sovereignty. He tells them, this is the village. The village in front of you is where you're going to go. Once you get there, immediately when you enter there, you're going to look and you're going to find a cult. You know, he didn't hand them a cell phone and say, here, I got Google Maps up for you. And when you enter into the city, I pinged a little spot, and that's the spot you got to go. No, he said, this is where you're going to go. 
And if anyone asks you what you're doing, you're going to find a colt there, and that colt's going to have never been ridden, no one's ever ridden this colt. You're going to bring him to me. If people ask you why, you're going to tell them the Lord hath need of him. And what did people do? They asked, and they followed what the Lord said, because the Lord knew what was going to happen. He had it all planned. And that's how it works. Look at verse number four. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye, loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. Jesus knew all these things. Now let's think about that one. Let's say you were the donkey owner. And someone just comes in and loosens your donkey and is getting ready to go. Um, what are you doing? Uh, the Lord has need of this. You'd be like, yeah, the Lord has need. Let me go get my gun and we'll take care of things right here. Okay, the Lord needs it. Go ahead. You see, the Lord already knew how all this was going to turn out. Jesus had all the details worked out including the exact sequence, which should help us trust him as he gives us assignments or as we go through our life today. You see, as we look at this, it's an amazing thing. There are no surprises with God. God is not surprised by anything that takes place in this world. You might turn on the news later today and be shocked. This next week, a year ago, remember a year ago? Yeah. A year ago, we were thinking 15 days is almost done, and maybe by Easter we'll be back in church. It's over a year later. But that was not a surprise to God. It didn't throw God for a loop. We can trust him this morning. I love the fact the Bible says that this colt, this donkey, no one had ever ridden on this donkey before. How neat would it have been to be this donkey, the thing you were created for? was to let the king of kings ride on you. That's pretty special. The disciples were sent, we mentioned that verse already. We know that Jesus in um, Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 9, we read it earlier. He was coming to show himself. This prophecy was made years before it ever happened. Israel was wanting a Messiah that would come with power and overthrow the Roman, Roman government. They were longing for a warrior that rode in on a white horse like David did a thousand years earlier when he destroyed the Philistines. You can imagine the confusion in their minds as he rides in on a donkey. Symbol of peace. Not a symbol of war. Hey, friends, this morning you can trust him. They has everything worked out today. Our job is simply to trust him and to obey him. Just like the disciples did right here. Um, you just want me to go steal that guy's donkey? Go and do it. They, I don't see anywhere in here where they question. You know, this, the triumphal entry is mentioned in all four Gospels. They didn't question they went, hey, if you're not saved and don't know Christ as your Savior today, today's the day to trust him. He is worthy of it. 
And I want you to understand this morning, we live in the present today, and some of us are fearful, and you're fearful of what tomorrow could hold, and all these other things have been piling up in your life. God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. He's already been in tomorrow. He's been in yesterday. He's everywhere. You can trust him this morning. You see, when I am struggling with the problems of today, God is working. Man, we just read, if you're going through the Bible ring with me, the book of Ruth. Man, it looks pretty bad for Naomi as her, as her husband and her two boys die. It looks bad. And she even says, it's, it's pretty bad. You can just change my name to Mara. It means bitter. Hey, my daughters-in-law, just go back to your families. There's nothing for you. Oh, but hold on. We've got the whole book there. There was a lot for her. Oh, oh, it's a good thing that Ruth said, hey, I'm going to stick with you. But she didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Hey, your God's going to be my God. I'm going to trust him. We're going to go. And, they didn't, and Naomi didn't do a good job of trusting him before this time. They shouldn't have even been in Moab. Just so happens she works in a field that belongs to Boaz. Just so happens. Just so happens he could be the redeemer for that family. Just so happens. Just so happens there's one that was even closer that didn't want to do it. Just so happens that way. And it just so happens that Ruth becomes the great-grandma or the grandma of David. Great-grandma of David. And she's in the line of Christ. It just so happens that way. There are no just so happens with God. He knows what he's doing. You can trust him today. And it's a blessing to see in this passage. He knew what was going to take place. And as we look at number one this morning, you can trust the sovereignty of the Savior. Number two, we should give what's been given to us. Give him what's been given to us. Look at verse number 7 and verse number 8. The Bible says, And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him. And he sat upon him, and many spread their garments in the way, and others cat, cat, cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. There were at least three gifts given to Jesus that day. The first one was the colt. The book of Matthew tells us that the colt was with its mother. The disciples are told to bring both of them. It talks about that in the book of Matthew. Perhaps so that the colt wouldn't freak out. I don't know what the case is. But the, master, the owners didn't question the disciples. They were happy to help. If Jesus, if his disciples came to you that day, said, we want your donkey, would you have helped? Would you have given it? Hey, there's a group of people that need to be fed. Hey, I've got a few loaves and a few fishes. Lord, you can have what I have. We see this before our eyes. Give what's been given to you. They gladly gave him, gave Jesus, what rightfully belonged to him anyways. My guess is there was joy in their hearts that what they had could be used 
by the Lord. That's the key to giving. Do you know that this morning? The key to giving. When we realize that everything we have has been given to us by God, and that he's the owner of everything that we have, we move from getting all that we can to giving as he did. That's one of our big problems in Christianity today. We're like two-year-olds. Mine. That's my toy. That's my phone. It's my life. It's my wallet. Everything we've been given from God. Those are my children. No, 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 no. They're his children. They're not your children. They're his children. This is my church. No, it's his church. It would change our lives a lot if we get a hold of that truth. We're running out of time, and um, so I'm going to keep on going. Someone, a pastor by the name of Alan Carr, he did a whole message on donkeyology. And I thought it's a great, you could look it up online and find it somewhere. But he talked about that donkey a little bit. I'm just going to get, do you have blanks there for that? Is there blanks? Let me just give you these blanks, and we're just going to skip right through and keep on going so I get to the end of the message this morning. When you think about the donkey, the first thing about this donkey is the donkey had to be redeemed. The Bible tells us in Exodus 13, 13, and every firstling of an ass shalt th- um, thou shalt redeem with a lamb, and if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck, and all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. So this donkey, in order to live, according to the book of Exodus, had to be redeemed. A lamb had to die for this donkey to live. Sound kind of familiar? Some of us might act like donkeys a lot, but, you know, you can see the, we've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Second thought is this, the donkey had to be released. Before the Lord could fully use that donkey, he had to be brought to him. Hey, before we could be completely used by God, we had to be freed from the chains of sin. It's a great truth when you look at these things. And then, thirdly, the donkey had to be ruled. That's one thought that I had. This this donkey never had anyone ride on him before. So that means he was not trained to have someone ride on him. So his trial run is with the king of kings. And I'll just say this, I'm sure that Jesus ruled him well, because he rules all eternity. He rules all the world. But that donkey had to be ruled. And you've got to think about this, we must be broken and yield to our master, allowing him to work in our lives. And so, just some thoughts about the donkey there. We're going to continue on. The three gifts, we see there was the colt, and then we see the cloaks. Let it be the cloaks. They willingly took off their outer garments to make a saddle, while others placed their coats on the ground. You know, today we'd have the red carpet. Well, they didn't have red carpet. But they took their stuff and let Jesus ride over it. They took their outer garment, put it over the spot where a saddle would go. They gave it to the Lord. The laying of the cloak on the road, if if you were to look at the Old Testament kings, 
people spread cloaks under King Jehu as he walked on the bare stairs. It was a recognition of receiving him as, him as king. But there's actually more to it than that. It was a deeply symbolic act that represented their submission and surrender. They were laying themselves under his feet. And then we see, let us see, we see the strawed branches. Well, they're palm branches, what they are. In John chapter 12, verse 13, it says, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. This was a common way to welcome in a victorious king when he had returned from battle. In Judaism, palm branches or palms represented peace and plenty. Palm branches were a symbol of joy and victory. By laying these branches on the road, the people were signifying that Jesus was the victorious king who gives eternal life to those wandering in the desert. He was given the colt. He was given the cloaks. He was given the branches. All three point to who Jesus is. The colt was expensive. The cloaks were essential. And the branches were an expression of joy. Give what you have to the Lord. Number three and lastly this morning. We need to worship with all we have. Worship with all you have. Just some lessons from this passage. Verse number nine. It says, And they that went before, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They were chanting this. I mean, they were shouting it, singing it, and those in the back were responding with another phrase. I want to give you this morning an opportunity real quick to do what they did. So, Joe, I think on the screen there you have Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Might be down a couple from there, a couple slides down. So, this side of the room, okay? You guys are going to help me here this morning, okay? We're going to pretend like we're in one big line, one big area. This side of the room is going to say, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Then go to the next slide. Then these two are going to say, Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That's literally what they did. In the front, they would say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then in the back, they would yell it back, Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So you get a chance to do what they did real quick, okay? We're just going to do it, okay? So this side... Now, do it. you got to shout it a little bit. They cried out, right? So go back, Hosanna. All right, so this side, do it with me. Are you ready? Here we go. Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. A little louder. Be the kingdom 
Now, let's actually get a little excited about it, okay? Put a smile on your face and be excited about it. Now, here we go. Are you ready? Dana. A little louder, a little bit more excitement. Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Okay, so go ahead and stand up now. And now let's do this side. Here we go. Blessed. All right, here we go. All right, last time and do it your very best. Okay, here we go. All right, you can be seated. That's what they did. That's what they did. They didn't say it in English, though, okay? If some of you think they said it in English, they didn't say it in English. They worshipped him. And yet a few days later, crucify him. He's not our king. Wow. Those words, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. The word Hosanna means save now. It comes from Psalm 118 and verse number 25. You have that verse there? Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. Psalm 118 is known as the salvation psalm. And the very next phrase, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, comes from verse 26 of that passage. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And then we see how the other phrase at the back would say, blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest Highest refers to the most elevated, the loftiest. Psalm 71, 19, Thy righteousness also, O God, is very high, who has done great things. O God, who is like unto thee? And this is very similar to what the angel said. Glory to God in the highest. It's exactly what we see. What a day that was. Jesus is sovereign. He knew how everything would unfold. People gave to the Lord. They worshipped him that day. But they didn't get it. They did not get it. They missed it. But I want you to know something this morning, church. His day is coming. Hey, his day is coming. And there's nothing that no one can do about it. That was not his day. It could have been, should have been, but his day's coming. And the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 19, verse number 11, And I saw heaven open, and I didn't see a donkey, and I behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he that judge and make war. His eyes, the eyes of Jesus, were as flames of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. 
And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. I wonder if on that day we're all going to be with him. Not to battle. He doesn't need us. Could it be that we will be proclaiming, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. His day is coming. Hey, if you're not ready for his day, let today be the day you get ready. Hey, if you're here this morning and you're struggling in your Christian life, realize he's got it all under control. If he knew where that donkey was going to be, what city it was going to be, where all these things would unfold, he knows what's going on in your life as well today. Hey, maybe today you need to say, hey, all to Jesus I surrender. I give you everything. I give you my life. You're in control. And maybe it's just time you start worshiping him. That you focus, give him your best. What a day that's going to be when he comes. Until that day, we keep moving forward for the Lord. What a passage of scripture. They totally missed it. Totally missed it. Hey, church, let's not miss what the Lord has for us. And if they could do it, we could easily miss what he has for us as well. Father.